It's another edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, the host, sports manager at Cleveland.com, and alongside, back from Goodyear, Arizona, is Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer in Cleveland.com. Terry, hello there. How was your trip? It was it was really nice, and you know it's even better to go on somebody else's money. (laughs) That's right. It's always the best way to go. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So that's uh, that's that certainly makes it nice, but. Uh, no, I'm. I really. I've always enjoyed uh, spring training, and uh, Arizona makes it even better. So we are back. We can talk baseball. We got Browns are signing guys left and right. Yeah, the let's Cavs, do it. I, I, the Cavs are the Cavs are really good. I mean, they're really good. I hope people could get that through their head. They're really good. They've won more well, games than last year. They're on their way to winning 50 games. And all right, David, the last Cavs team. To win 50 games without LeBron James was? Uh, 1998? No, that was the last time he made the playoffs without LeBron James. All right, what year was it then? Because I covered it, 93. Lenny Wilkins is last year, 92, 93. I think they won like 53 or 54 games. That's a good trivia question. Yeah, and, right, also, you know, and we'll do it, but the, the, as we talk about uh, the different things about the Cavs, just remember this, there's two franchises. There's a fan, Cavs with LeBron. And without LeBron. And so when you're comparing these guys in this group, as we will talk about, this is the Cavs with no LeBron. All right. We'll get into the Cavs. We've got some uh, some good stuff to talk about with the last few letters we're going to read about people playing sports against notable athletes in their younger days. Um, yes. I, I guess let's let's start with the Guardians, Terry, since you just got back. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you – Give us like a 10,000-foot view of the state of the Guardians from what you saw out there. You you, you saw some games. You talked to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about this team going into the season? Um, really good. I'm, other than I, – I still think the bottom of the rotation is a concern. Now, Plezak was terrible the game that I saw. The next game, he finally pitched well. I think he pitched six innings and did pretty well. Bieber looked superb. And I do want to talk about him with some likes, but Bieber really uh, looks great. Well, do you want to get into Bieber right now? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. So I'm, I'm talking to him after the game. And I said, how do you feel? He said, uh, oh, you know, really good. I'm in a good spot, et cetera. So, you know, the kind of the spring cliches. And I said, well, how does that compare to last year? He said, I hardly ever felt good last year. I said, really? I mean, you had a Pitched through 200 innings, ERAs under three. He said it was a struggle most of the year. I didn't feel very fluid. He said they're just. Uh, it was just. He said I learned a lot. I learned how to. As he said, is your bad good enough to win? I love that line. He said, is my when mm-hmm. you're feeling bad, is it still good enough to win? And I learned how to do that. He said, but I never felt like my delivery was right. And I didn't feel just that confident like I do right now. So that was interesting. And then I went and talked to some other people about that. So you know how pitching is, Terry. There's health and there's mechanics. And mm-hmm. a lot of times your health can affect your mechanics. Mm-hmm. Was there, Did you get the sense it was kind of this tug of war going in Shane Bieber's head between like, all right, how am I feeling today? What do I have to tweak in terms of my delivery? I mean, did he talk about that or – what was kind of the biggest struggle for him? Was it mental, I guess? Is I think question. most of it was mental. Now, he said that um, his delivery finally is where he likes it to be. I talked with Carl Willis about it. He said, well, first of all, I said Shane's a perfectionist. And he said, so he's really always looking at, you know, the, the video on that. But he said the other thing about Shane was he goes, he had a couple games where he really threw well, you know, gave a couple runs of seven innings. And he says to me, he goes, I don't even know where my arm was at today. I don't know how I got through that game. And he wasn't right. It was like he's analytical in that. So he said, no matter what the pitcher said, when you came off, he missed six, I'm sorry, three months at the end of 2021. And remember, he pitched just a little bit at the end. I think they brought him back for like three innings just so he could have a game under his belt before the end of the season and know he's feeling better. But then it's like, you know, boy, my arm doesn't feel right, my shoulder, you know, all that. It runs through the player's head. But you know, then you turn around, you look at the stats. He didn't miss, didn't miss a start, and he uh, had an ERA, I think, two nine. And so, 
we were talking about velocity. Now, his velocity has dropped from almost 94 in a Cy Young year, which is 20, to like 93, to last year it was 91 point something. And so I was talking, well, Francona is not a big radar gun guy. He's like, you know, the hitters will tell you, um, is your is your good good enough? That's what he says. He goes, this is good enough for him. He's got command. He goes, that's all I worry about. Um, now, you know, if it dropped to like 87, remember Justin Masterson many years ago, he was pretty good with, the, with, with Cleveland. Then he turns yep. down three years and $40 million in spring training. And actually, at the end of spring training, instead of throwing 92, 93, he was throwing 87, 88. And that year, he that was really the end of his career. He pitched a couple of years after that poorly. But, so we're not quickly, talking about it? that. Yeah, yeah and, he, and he walked away from all that money. So, uh, But that's not the case with Bieber. So I was talking to Carl Willis about this, and I said, well, what about the velocity? He goes, look, you like that velocity. By the way, what do you know? I was surprised. What is the major league fa- average major league fastball right now? 91? 93. Oh. It's up to 93. These guys are throwing harder and harder all the time. Willis said, he goes, we have all these analytics. And he said that the spin rate thing, he said, I'm not going to get all technical about it. He says, but if you're a hitter, Shane's fastball and the spin on his breaking ball is not that different. And he says, so it play it plays faster. And he's, his breaking ball is so good. These guys, he throws a cutter, he throws a curve, all that. So they're looking at that. So in other words, bottom line is he feels really good. His ERA, I think, is 1-6 in spring training. Um, and he looks terrific. McKenzie looks good. I didn't see Quantrill because he was pitching for Canada or wherever he was pitching for. Um, I saw... Savali, and I'm concerned. I didn't think he was throwing all that great. He, th- that's the game he took a line drive off his foot and continued to pitch and said he felt well. I'll be curious to see next time out. Chris, the thing about Savali, he doesn't have overwhelming stuff anyway. And Plezak, to me, is just a run-of-the-mill guy. So then you're talking about you know Connor Pilkington and Hunter Gaddis and these uh, guys that are Xavier Curry who are right below that. Because they don't want to get to like Gavin Williams and Tanner Bibby just next, so that's the one area of concern. But the rest, Quan was hitting, um, Brennan's been hitting, Arias looks terrific. You know, Jose is Jose. Uh, Bell, you could tell Bell. Bell's got a lot of power, and Bell's can be very slump prone. That's a big swing we're looking at there, and that could go. The odd one to me was Oscar Gonzalez, and I'm a big Gonzalez fan, but I have to admit I was concerned uh, because he, last time I looked, which was like two days ago, he had like 36 at-bats. He was batting like 180. He had no extra base hits. He wasn't striking out that much. It's just like what I saw, he just wasn't hitting the ball very hard. Now, Even I don't when know he made what to contact. Make of it. Huh? Yeah, he made a lot of contact. It wasn't yeah. he was making, but this was ground balls to short and pop-ups and, fly balls and I always bothers me some because Arizona you should hit in Arizona the ball doesn't spin very well and the ball carries uh like last I look I mean Miles Straw is well over 300 yeah so Terry you know a lot of the same guys are back from the team that won the division Mm -hmm. last year and and I wanted to talk for a minute about Tristan McKenzie who you mentioned and Miles Straw uh, I, I was really interested in what McKenzie had to say. A lot of people think pitchers go to spring training, they stretch their arms out, they, you know, they try and get some guys out, show what they can do, and then they go into the regular season. But like Tristan McKenzie really talked to you about how one year has completely changed the way he he is thinking about spring training this time around as, as opposed to past years and why that could make a big difference when the, when the season starts. Uh, I found that really interesting. Why don't you talk about that for a second? We forget about the fact that these guys, especially in baseball, where they send you up and down to the minors a lot, the other sports don't have that. It preys on your mind. I mean, you re- I guess probably the only guys that are close to it are kickers because you know, they always say there are a couple bad kicks from being called in the office and, and let go. Granted, they're, it's not like they let you go in baseball. They just send you to Columbus and bring you back. And saying to Columbus, like in 2021, McKenzie made four trips to Columbus and came back. His ERA was well over four. So he went into spring training. They're talking about him being in rotation. 
but he knows he just made four trips to Columbus. And I better look good right now. And this is not a time to like perfect the breaking ball or anything. I'm going right at him. You know, he made the team. He had a good year. So this year, now he, unlike some guys who think they always have to have a new pitch or something, McKenzie's not that kind of guy. But I think it's like early on, he was just working on his arm strength and and just feels more comfortable. He's a very thoughtful uh, young man. I mean, he's, he's impressive when you when you talk to him and his view of the game. The coaches love him. So, you know, he, and, and I saw him throw really well. He was throwing 95 to 97. His velocity from, say, that spring of 2001, uh, I'm sorry, 2021, the year he went up and down a bunch of times, I remember he was throwing like 90 to 92. You know, he's so tall and thin. He's just getting stronger. And I think they're working with him on sort of getting more torque in his legs. So you got McKenzie, you got Bieber, you got Quantro, who I, I believe in quite a bit. And to me, you got two question marks. And then Miles Straw, Terry, um, you know, we saw him kind of be in the second leadoff man batting at the bottom of the order. And they are really trying to get him to be more aggressive mm-hmm. and not take strikes so early in the count. And they're telling him basically go up there swinging. And, and yeah. make things happen, uh, and don't be so tentative. And did you see him? Did you see him taking that to heart when you were out there? It seemed like it, but I'll I'll feel better, David, when I see it playing for real. But yeah, I mean, I look. The other thing that's amazing about uh, Straw is out there, you see some really bad outfield play because um, the the sky is almost eye piercing blue. The wind blows like crazy. And the ball gets up there and looks like a black dot. Very serious. I remember one time, it was a long time ago when I covered the the tribe back in the early 80s, and uh, we'd play some pickup baseball and things or just hit fly balls. And that's where I came, ran into the wind and black dot thing. You know, it's like, I mean, I wasn't great, but I played. I played in high school. I played a year of Division three baseball in college. And I'm like, wow, you really got to work at this. <laughs> Meanwhile, these guys are having trouble. And Straw's just there's a there's a rocket hit in the gap. Off he goes, turns his back, turns around, catches it right at the wall, throws it out. One time Oscar got in his way, and he's like, he just cut right in front of Oscar. It's like just leave. You don't know what you're looking at, you know. I mean, he really does. I mean, Francona says when the ball's hit to the outfield, it's an out with that guy. And if you look at Straw's career, even right now with the last year already at 221, his career batting average is 247. I mean, not great. And he's certainly like a higher OPS uh, than what he's got, which is 635. But it's not like this is a guy that, uh, you know, is never going to get a hit. And I'm just, I just, I have a lot of confidence in him. I, I like what he brings to this team. You know, the, I wrote a whole story. The Guardians play differently. You know, that was for Sunday. I mean, it's like they play Guardian ball. I mean, this is, and Francona is like, well, this is not up for debate. This is the way we play. And Josh Bell was telling me how, He'd never been with a team, like from day one of spring training, we are going first to third. When that ball's in the dirt, I don't care if you're not that fast. If that ball's in the dirt, you can still go to second base. You can still look to tag up. This is what we're going. We're running hard on every ball. We want to put pressure, almost like a basketball team that presses all the time. We want to put pressure on them. We want to get every loose ball. We want to get every long rebound. Well, these guys want to get every edge that they can. And... um Really, and as Chris Antonetti said to me too, along with uh, Tito and Antonetti and different uh, things told me, says, you know, when you have, yeah, Jose and Ahmad, when those two are leading the way, Jimenez, Juan, the rest, play that way. And it's just their culture. You know, you hear culture. The Guardians have the culture. And Francona said, you know, we can't, we're not Boston. Can't throw the bats out there and just out hit our mistakes. And I'm not getting, he just says, we're not going to tolerate it. And so that's, that's what's fun about them too. Uh, yeah. There's a saying in hockey, Terry, that you want your team to be hard to play against. Yes. Like, and, and that's what these guys are like. And it's, it's different than playing against the Yankees or, you know, some mm-hmm. teams where they get a guy in first and wait for somebody to come up at a homer. Um, this is like an every pitch being hard to play against that the guardians do. And it's really, it's, it's like putting the other team in a vice and just waiting and just turning the crank slowly and hoping they're going to, and when they make a mistake, you go after it. <laughs> and Frank Hunter says, I know it's a hard way to play, but it's our way to play. And they proved last year it could work. So that part is, is fun to see on terms of, uh, 
a couple of guys maybe for down the line. Uh, Micah Priest, who I saw just a little bit of, but they were raving to me about this guy. Uh, you know, he's a guy that hasn't much had. He's not on anybody's scouting list, but they really like him. In fact, Francona said he was talking to Priest. Priest goes, I know I'm flying under the radar. And he goes, do you think I really care where Baseball America has you rated? He goes, no offense to Baseball America. He goes, I don't care. I'm watching you. We're watching you. A lot of our guys, Baseball America don't like. They're out there playing for us, you know. So, I mean, they are the little engine that could. And, you know, and Quan said we got to always play with a chip on our shoulder. And if you think about it, Quan was not how he regarded. Brennan has just come up was not how he regarded. Oscar Gonzalez was not how he regarded. Jose signed for fifty grand. Nobody liked him. I mean, he had to be begged to be signed. Ahmad was a top prospect and then cast away by the by the Mets. You know, he plays like a guy trying to make the team every day. You just go right down the list. Now, uh, Jimenez was was highly regarded as a player coming out of Venezuela, but once again, again the Mets passed on them we just you know go all through the whole deal there so um they're fun if you're a baseball purist and you like prospects and all this stuff and a team that uh with it with an elite manager in front office this is your team all right terry and speaking of uh undersung and people we should watch for next uh you you asked carl willis you said give me a surprise mm-hmm. name among the young pitchers and i just wanted to throw this in real quick because baseball fans love to know like who's next and i i, I think you got a surprising answer there didn't you yeah, Tim Heron was the answer, and I actually saw Tim Heron in a minor league game in 2021. It was it was no, excuse me, 2020 because it was right before baseball shut down, and he was like an A ball, and it was just in the morning. I wanted a minor league camp, and there's this huge lefty out there, but he's kind of throwing the ball over the place, and uh, he looks sort of like Sam Hentkins, but it's like I just kind of remembered seeing him. I didn't think he was all that great or anything. But um, he says Tim Heron, and if you look it up, he's a guy that's um, – they like to get these big lefties that throw hard and put them in the bullpen, give them two pitches. He's got five, by the way, which they want to get get rid of those. You know, there's uh, there should be a rule that if you should only – you have five fingers on your hand, but you shouldn't count the thumb. You know, in other words, if you're a pitcher, four is more than enough. Um and so I'm talking to Heron, and I said, well, you weren't highly regarded. And he said, well, I was picked in the 29th round. They don't even have 29 rounds anymore. <laughs> you know, he was the 888th pick or something out at University of Indiana. But Francona likes him, too. So he may make the team, or if not, he may come up fairly soon. I think it depends some on how, how Henkins is doing. They're, they said he's come back close to pitching, but we'll see. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. They, uh, Tito told you that sometimes players from northern schools mm-hmm. take longer to to kind of get it together because they can't play year round like people in you know Georgia or Florida can, which I'd never even really thought of. But I guess it's true. So yeah, it is, and also they're just even though these teams in the Big Ten will take a southern trip, they're getting rained out more and everything else in the spring. Now, you still have these summer leagues where they go and play the Cape Cod League and the Northwest League and some of these others. But uh, I do think it's a difference. I mean, as a high school baseball player in northern Ohio, I mean, I don't know how many times at Benedictine or whatever we were rained out or you played and it's 42 degrees. And just, or the field's a mess and they have to uh, scrap yeah. the game. Yeah, well, it was yep. at lunchtime. We used to go out and help the coach fix the field. So it, it's a much different where you're at some elite program in Sarasota, Florida or something. Yep. All right, Terry. Well, it's hard to believe, but the season opener, we're taping this on Tuesday, March 21st, and the season opener is only nine days away on Thursday, the 30th. The Guardians are at Seattle for a 10-10 first pitch. And then a week later uh, on Friday, they'll be back for the home opener. So it's going to be here really quickly. So that spring training really went fast. So, all right, you want to talk some Cavaliers? Yes. Let's do it. All right. So the Cavs are 45 and 28, still locked into that fourth spot in the East. It looks like they're on a collision course with the Knicks maybe in the first round, but things can change. There's, there's a lot of basketball to be played. Um, I know this is something that we've kind of talked about on past podcasts, Terry. Like, how good are the Cavs? And are they underrated or overrated? Or I don't know. What, what would well, you feel I, about I think, when I answer that I, question? I think expectations are too high for them locally. And by them being underrated, I think fans are underrating what they have done already. It's almost like they're taking it for granted 
okay, you, maybe because of the LeBron effect. When they brought LeBron in, you know, they bring the star in, and instantly they go from, I forgot how many games they won the year before, I think it was 32, to, you know, winning over 50 and, and going to the finals. But dominant, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell's not LeBron in his prime. If he were, Utah never would have traded him. Um, they would they would have kept him. He's very good. He's a star. And he might even be the second best player that I've seen in a Cleveland uniform to LeBron. But the gap is huge between those two. Um, and so I'm looking at the fact that they have already won more games than a year ago. Um, and as we mentioned before, the last Cavs team, this team's on his way to perhaps win in 50. It, without uh, LeBron, was back in 92-93, the Larry Nance, Brad Doherty, Mark Price group. Um, and I just, they've been able to keep their defense up all year. It's encouraging that they're finally getting some stuff out of Levert now. Uh, and, you know, they've been winning some games without Jared Allen. Uh, uh Garland's had a good year, but he's had a year with the eye problem and some other stuff where he's been hurt. It hasn't been a perfect year for them in terms of injury, and yet they're on their way to 50 wins. It's hard to win 50 games in the NBA. So you, you think they're underrated nationally, potentially? I don't I don't know what nationally thinks. I'm just saying with the fans here, yeah, they, they've kind of jumped from, uh, gee, isn't it nice to be maybe making the playoffs to – Oh well, they got to get to the Eastern Conference Finals or something like that, um, right? And I just, I just don't see that. Uh, I think they're they're still a team that's growing. The the, the people get tired of hearing that the starting lineup is twenty six and, and younger, younger, but it's twenty six and younger. That's what it is. And the NFL punishes youth, and it's extremely hard to get a young team to play the type of defense the Cavaliers play. That's a tribute to, one, the type of players they drafted for Kobe Altman. Secondly, the relentless uh, messaging from J.B. Bickerstaff. I like coaches and managers like Francona's got his messages and J.B.'s got his that are consistent because a lot of times these guys keep trying to change their messaging all the way along because, you know, there's a saying in coaching or teaching, you get what you stress. And if you keep stressing this, You'll get it, especially if you could hold people, you know, I say hold them accountable. But basically, you know, you, you see times when he's throwing uh, Lamar Stevens and a coral. I've even seen him out there together a couple of times. That's a little frightening because who's going to score? But uh, he's sending a message. Yeah, and it, the, the message has been straight from JB before they started winning like this. With, oh, yeah. You know, for, they, he for, walked in to replace John Beeline. He started with it when they were ranked 30th yeah. in defense out of 30 teams. And then uh, they went to 28th. And then uh, last year they were fifth. And this year, whether I don't know if they're one now or three, but they're in the top three. Well, I, I tell you, as I think fans would like to see this team, they've beaten a lot of teams that are under 500 and they've mm-hmm. piled up a lot of wins. But I think the next step for this team down this final stretch of the regular season is when they play a playoff caliber team, yep. finishing the game, right? Yep. Like, and, and things even jump another level in the playoffs. And, and these guys have not been through that for the most part. Um, so like p- coming up with big baskets in crunch time is the next evolution for this team. It's got to happen because you only get so many chances in the playoffs. And if you lose a game to Philly in March, it's completely different than losing a game to the Knicks in the playoffs in the first round. And they, they've got to take that next step in terms of coming through in clutch, clutch yeah, situations, that, right? Th- David, you're right there. And also, I just think you can't replicate the playoffs. You just can't. Because in baseball, when you make the postseason and you're playing best of five or whatever, you have these four, even sometimes a five-game series against the same team. So it, that's not out of the, a different experience for you. Yes, you may see their better pitchers and so on, but you're you're seeing that same team over and over again. Basketball, you don't. Now they're doing a little bit of this back-to-back stuff with the same team, which is okay, but it still is different. I remember I was talking to Stan Van Gundy about this, and he said uh, the playoffs are nerve-wracking. He goes, but one thing I know in the playoffs, and we gave him video to take home and the scouting reports, he goes, these guys would actually look at it for a while. I didn't just have three guys looking at it. I goes, I had just about everybody. Because these guys don't want to look bad 
in the playoffs. Well, and Terry, it's even more intense. I mean, uh, Chris Fedor, our colleague who covers the Cavs, has a story up on Evan Mobley today and kind of how he's taken the next step. They had noticed that the timing on Mobley's shot opposing teams had and were timing it to, to block him or affect the shot. They picked that up during the regular season. Imagine in the playoffs yeah. the amount of detail that these mm-hmm. teams are going to be going into on each other. Uh, and that was just Evan Mobley's shot during the regular season with teams coming in and out of town and traveling and everything. You you got to play the same opponent over and over and over, and they're going to be analyzing every move. And it, it is. It's it's a different world. So um, I mean, that's part of the reason they went to get Donovan Mitchell. It's part of the reason that you know players such as LeBron or Durant are so valuable is when things break down, which they will pretty quickly in place, these guys can and can create. And they're physically strong. Donovan Mitchell is a strong man. He just is. I've compared Garland to Mark Price before. And one of the downsides for Price is the same thing for Garland is they're just not very big and strong. They're yeah, extremely skilled and smart, but they get knocked around and they get hurt. So you need that physical specimen. That's always the remarkable thing about Steph Curry to me how he's done so well at that size. And it's probably part of the reason you learned to shoot, you know, they're playing in the Bay area and he's taking shots from Oregon. It's a way of keeping out, you know, away from some of the defense, but he does go to the rim on that. So um, we'll see you're, you're, David. I don't know how they're going to do in the playoffs, but the fact that they're not creeping into the playoffs, like they were last year or whatever, that they're got a chance to really finish strong. That to me is encouraging. And we're not sitting there going, oh, boy, it looks like, Mitchell and Garland won't throw each other the ball. You didn't know how that was going to go. Uh, I don't see any of that. They could still work together better, but there doesn't seem to be any sort of uh, animosity there. Well, and Terry, this team, the the if you were to make a chart, this the the graph is going up. Like regardless mm-hmm. of how the playoffs go, I mean, and if you don't, if you do get a chance, read Chris Fedor's story on Evan Mobley today. I mean, he's Absolutely. eating entire plates of pasta and yeah. creatine, and he's been in the, and it all dates back to this game a couple of months ago against the Suns when he got pushed around, and Evan Mobley's like, I'm tired of getting pushed around. Yeah. So like Evan Mobley's getting in the weight room and he's getting stronger. Went so, to him about year four or five. Oh, they always say scary. year three, but when he gets to be about 24, 25, uh, just look out. I mean, it's kind of like we we're talking about Tristan Thompson before. I mean, he still looks really skinny, but you look at his shoulders, and all, he's, he's growing into a man. And 21 years old right game. now. Yeah. Yep. yep. And so that's, you know, that's exciting to me. And he's so unselfish. We're talking about Mobley, you know, willing to defend. Um, Mobley's dad, granted, he played some other teams, but Mobley's dad was his main coach. Boy, that guy, he did a a wonderful job. I think he's still on the coaching staff at USC, and he should be, because it's not just he's got these two sons that are now in the NBA, because Isaac is on the G G League team. Uh, This man knows how to coach defense, because I I don't know how else that kid would pick up such defensive knowledge, because you bounce from high school to high school and all these different AAU teams. Now, that came at home. Absolutely. Yep. They don't preach a lot of defense in no, a lot of the AU no, games. It's all don't. about how many points can you run up. So, all right, Terry, you mentioned the Tuesday, Thursday back to back at Brooklyn uh, starting tonight for the Cavs. Then they're back home on Sunday against Houston. And then they are next Tuesday at Atlanta. They're back on the road. And that's a 730 tip. So, all right, let's take a break, Terry. When we come back, we've got some more emails from listeners about notable people. We're going to wrap up that. I think that'll be the end of this. It was a great idea you had, Terry. These have been really fun to read. Okay. Um, we've got a good Hey Terry question, and we'll talk about some Browns free agency. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, um, a while back, we started talking about Sean Payton, and you mentioned um, – that we should have people write in times they played against notable athletes. And so these will be the last ones. We've gotten a great response to this. It was a wonderful yeah. idea, and we really appreciate all the listeners sending some stuff in. But there's some familiar names in here that oh, uh, I thought we would kind of wrap up this segment. This one is from Steve Smith. And Steve says, hey, Dave and Terry, I went to Cleveland State basketball camp in sixth grade. Larry Shiat ran the camp. Mm. Somehow I got on a team for three-on-three, and Brad Sellers, who was then a six-foot-ten high school sophomore at Warrensville, was on our team. Basically, all we did was never shoot but throw it up to Brad. We never got close (laughs) to losing. And this one is great. I went to Walsh Jesuit and was home in Cleveland, and we decided to go to the Walsh versus Lake Catholic game. My younger brother, 
who played QB at Walsh, and I went down to see our old coach and teacher, Jerry Raritan. Someone asked if we could work the chains, and, and we agreed. Mike Vrabel was on Walsh, and Joe Juravicious was on Lake Catholic. Wow. So the chains were on the Lake Catholic side, and I heard something I will never forget. A coach or a member of their staff said, I don't know why everyone thinks this Vrabel kid is so great. He, look, <laughs> he looks uncoordinated and slow. He was playing tight end at the time and dropped the pass. Four Super Bowls later, I always wonder about that. <laughs> and uh, Steve says, love your show and sports knowledge. Never miss a podcast. Thanks for that, Steve. Um, yeah, and Joe Juravicious didn't have a bad career either. So No. Yep. Um, let's see. Hi, Dave and Terry. This one is from Dan Mills. He says, longtime fan of Terry's, and I really appreciate the podcast. I graduated from Chagrin Falls in 1988. During my junior and senior years, we played Hawken three times, including once in the playoffs. That Hawken team featured future NFLer O.J. McDuffie. Mm. Needless to say, O.J. was great, making impact plays on both sides of the ball. Of the three games, we probably played them close to even during one half, and the other five halves, <laughs> they ran all over us. I bring this up because Terry recently mentioned that an elite athlete is in another category of yeah. performer, and they're usually very good at several sports. That was the case with O.J. I also had a chance to play a summer league baseball team. In that game, he went three for three with a walk a double and two home runs. <laughs> it's not fair. It's what you really come up with there. Yeah, the I, interesting thing about LeBron could play, you know, he was basically the one year he played football, he was an all state uh, receiver at St. Fee, but he came down to Cleveland and before a game, tried to take some batting practice. I didn't see it, but people were laughing at it. It was bad. <laughs> I mean, he did not look like he had done this in his life. And unlike probably every other sport that he tried, it, it is a different skill set. Absolutely. So, well, thanks for that one, Dan. That's a good story. This next one is from Howard Butensky, and Howard says, Greetings, this is my contribution. In college at Syracuse in the 60s, we had a pretty competitive intramural softball league among the fraternities. We were playing a rival house in the semifinals and had a decent lead. They loaded the bases, and all of a sudden, there's all sorts of activity on the other side. Dave Bing was a oh, de facto member of their house. And just showed up. They took the bat away from whoever was up and gave it to Dave. And he proceeded to hit a shot down the third base line. Our third baseman backhanded the hot shot, stepped on third for the force, and threw home. Our catcher tagged the runner to complete the double play. Pandemonium on our side. The game got a bit testy, but we did win. Wow. Uh, Dave was not too affected and proceeded to make us all proud by his work both on and off the court. Yeah, he was mayor of Detroit for a while, too. That's right. That's right. And he had. I think he was one of the few good mayors they had, also, because they had a run there where some of them were getting into some legal problems, but not Dave. So that was great. So thanks for that. Was he a great player? You talk about a great player lost in NBA history is Dave Bing, because he played in Detroit and he wasn't flashy. He was just really good. Yeah, really versatile. I remember seeing some some film of him. So, all right, thanks for that one. Uh, This one is from Jerry Ragozine. Hope I got your name right, Jerry. As an 18-year-old freshman at Ohio State, me and a couple of high school friends walked across 11th Street to an outdoor basketball court and got in a pickup game. One of my teammates was Herb Williams, who I believed played in the NBA into his 40s. My proudest proudest hoops moment was going left baseline and executing the up-and-under move, scoring on the right side of the rim. (laughs) Herb sought me out to say, great move, and high-five me. Actually, a low five was required since he was 6'11". Love your podcast, guys. And uh, that's from Jerry. Thanks, Jerry, for sending that in. Um, I think that's going to do it, Terry. Right. Those were really good. Um, we're running a little short on time here. So we appreciate everybody sending those in. And it's been a, it's been some remarkable stories. So, all right, Terry, let's get into the Browns. Uh, a big week and a half of free agency for the Browns. They are bringing back Josh Dobbs as backup quarterback. Uh, we've talked we talked last week about some of the signings they've made. Uh, three defensive tackles, including uh, Dalvin Tomlinson and Maurice Hurst and Tristan Hill. Um, Agbo Okoronkwo, who's actually going to have a Zoom call with reporters tomorrow um, at defensive end. Safety Juan Thornhill from the Chiefs. Uh, what, what grade would you give the Browns at B this plus. point? It's B, B plus. plus. That's what I yeah. had, too. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're boring. All right. Um, B. No, that's okay. Um <laughs> Why because B plus? I just I just thought that they 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 figured out what they wanted to do, um, and they didn't make the big splash. You know, in their mind, Tomlinson's a big deal, you know, a lot of money for a defensive tackle. Uh, but I believe that you know they they spent a lot of time with Schwartz going over these players because 
most of them were on defense. And, you know, even a little thing they did, like uh, bringing in this guy Ford to help out with special teams for Bubba Ventura, uh, Bubba Ventro is very important. It looks like that, you know, they're, they're thinking, all right, this is who we who we are. This is what we need. we got to get better on special teams, got to get better on defense. Um, apparently, Schwartz also is a guy who's just not wild about linebackers. He, But he is wild about the defensive line, all of it, not just the, the ends. So I think the deal there is give me these good defensive ends, and I'll take care of the running game. I'll scheme it. And I'll use that. We can uh, handle the linebacker situation with without spending a ton of money. So we'll see how that works out. But I have more confidence in him saying that than um, you know some of the others. So I gave them a B plus Terry because they missed on Javon Hargrave. They got priced out of that. Yeah. And he ended up with the 49ers, which happens, right? But um, I like how calculated and every you know everything Andrew Berry in that front office yeah. does is calculated. But um, Tim Bielek, who we work with he does a post every January where he ranks the positions of strength in the draft. And if you look at the draft this year, defensive tackle was the fifth strongest position in the draft from what Tim has been gathering. Safety was the ninth best position in the draft. Mm -hmm. Um, The top three in case you're wondering were edge corner and wide receiver. So the Browns, you know, aside from defensive, they they need defensive tackle and safety going into this whole off season but the draft is not real strong in those two positions. So they went out and got some guys who can help immediately. And I, I really like Juan Thornhill. I think he's going to be a big upgrade from John Johnson in terms of run support. Juan Thornhill likes to stick his nose in on the run. He loves playing run support. And John Johnson was very inconsistent on that last year. Some days he'd, he'd, he'd make the tackle in some games, you know, especially late in games, you'd see him miss tackles and a lot of big plays resulted. So I, I think the way they paired this approach, and that's what they do, you know, teams do every offseason, mm-hmm. free agency, and then the draft. Like, I think they went about this the right way. So that's in why the, I'm In the plus. end, too, David, um, when you talk about a player, say, well, what's his one skill that stands out in any sport? And when you go back at John Johnson, really, what was it? That's the problem. Yeah. The silence. You go, well, he wasn't bad at this, and this was okay. But there wasn't one thing. And you would like your safety either to be really good. Um, now, the Browns are telling me they think Thornhill could really be very good as a, as they call it, a center fielder. That's what Schwartz wants, a center fielder, you know, to help them because they were going to play more man coverage. And they just need somebody back there to, to clean up the mess. As opposed to that corners thing that um, – Quarters, Q-U-A-R, quarters, like that's what uh, Joe Woods played, where there was four parts of the field where they had defensive backs. And it seemed like uh, uh, when, the, when a guy was on the line between the two quarters, nobody took him. Uh, hopefully that, that, that's gone. Um, and I also believe, too, David, that when you're talking to a guy like Hargrave and it's a ton of money between you and San Francisco, you're going to lose to San Francisco on that. You know, these guys are going to pick – uh, the better team. I mean, the Browns still are guilty until proven innocent in terms of what kind of organization this is. They have got, that's why this is such a critical year, not just because of Watson and these guys' jobs on the line. They've got to become respectable for like two years in a row. And when you look at, they went from 11 and 5 to 9 and 8 to 7 and 10. And they were lousy, you know, and before that, they were like 5 and 11 in Freddy's last year. I mean, people were ready to have a parade when they were 7, 8, and 1. But if you're a free agent somewhere else, look at that. Well, what is that? Oh, yeah. 2020 seems like 15 years ago to those yes, guys. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So B plus from both of us. And then, Terry, real quick, uh, Josh Dobbs. Good move bringing Josh Dobbs back to back up. I like Josh Dobbs, but I actually wouldn't wouldn't mind to. My guy that I wanted was Gardner Minshew, but he went to the Colts for three point five million. It wasn't just the money; he saw an opportunity to play there. Uh, he thinks he could. Um, I've always kind of liked Bridgewater, but he gets hurt. Uh, but if so, if you're but if you're going to get into the younger guy who doesn't have as much experience, I'd rather have Dobbs than just about any of these other Garrett Gilbert or any of these other guys floating around. But I, you know, I just I consider backup quarterbacks important. Of course, this franchise doesn't like to play them, but that's uh, oh, 
I, you know, Case Keenum, that horse just escaped the barn again. You That's know, right. I was we thought the horse that. was gone. He's back yeah. out, a Case Keenum horse. But it's like you need these guys. I, you know, if you go back, I don't know if they make the playoffs. If they play Case Keenum about five or six of those games instead of Baker running around with one arm, but they win a couple more. All right, Terry. Well, speaking of horses that got out of the barn at one point, um, Odell Beckham Jr., <laughs> <laughs> who had a dramatic time here with the Browns. Yes, he did. He held a workout a couple of weeks ago. The Browns were among the teams that went to view it. Mm-hmm. Um, Irie Harris, who is one of our Browns reporters, is putting a poll up today. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, put a poll up yesterday. And today he's going to be asking our subtext uh, football insiders, mm-hmm. do you want him back? Because, I mean, there was – it ended in kind of a weird way where the half the fans wanted to keep him around and half the fans were kind of done with him. Uh, and you know, if the Browns are looking for a veteran receiver to give them some leadership in the room and someone who can maybe, I don't know if OBJ's 30 now, can he take the top off of defense still? I don't know. Uh, is, is it something you would consider? Do you want to bring him back? Do you want to see him, the Browns bring him back or would you rather just move on and have them bring in somebody else? All right, David, the last six years, there have been 98 NFL games. In those last six years, OBJ has played how many? 44? Well, that's optimistic. 53. I mean, that was better. 53 out of 98. Okay. Six years. So if you sign OJ, OBJ, what's going to happen? He'll miss a third to a half of the season. With injury, okay. probably, right? And he's coming off his second ACL and didn't play at all last year. Why? I'm not doing that. I'm not even getting into whatever you feel about OBJ's drama. I wrote the column when they made the trade for him that I didn't like it because at that point he'd already missed 16 of the last 32 games as in his middle 20s with New York. He gets hurt. The other thing that is tough for them, this is a John Hart line, the old – uh, tribe GM used to say, be very careful. Don't let a star fall on you. Mm. And what he meant was when a guy's had injuries and gotten older, but he still sees himself at that elite level. Then you get into all the films like, OG, remember OBJ is always open, things like that. So no, I'm not doing this. I want find somebody else. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm overly optimistic, but I mean, I, I'd like to see them get a, a veteran receiver in here. But I look at Amari Cooper and DP, DP, uh, uh, Donovan People Jones, and I look at, uh, I still think uh, Bell, David Bell's got a chance to be pretty good. Uh, you got your tight ends. You got three. Atkins now joins in with uh, Najoku and Harrison Bryant. Uh, you got Ford coming out of the backfield. You get, you are allowed to throw passes to Nick Chubb. It's within the rules. They could do that. <laughs> I, you know, and the quarterback. Yeah, you'd like to have a guy that could run down the field or whatever. But it's like that's why I was glad they put the resources into the defense and the rest of this. Now, if Donovan, if, if uh, Watson plays like he did those last six games, I don't care who the receiver is. He looked, you know, he was all over the place. If he starts playing like he did at that Pro Bowl level, he's got enough talent here to make it look good. You'd like to add another guy, but I'm just, you know, and the last thing I want to do is bring a guy in who's just had two ACLs on the same knee within three years. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Well, if you know, OJ OBJ's name were David Campbell, and I just rolled out what I just did over the last six years – they would just say, oh, he's another guy. Bring him in on a one-year, maybe wake, make good contract, you know, all that. That's it. Yeah, and that's an analytics thing, Terry. I was just going to say, like, a lot of times in front offices or various sports, they will take the name off yep. of a guy's stats and profile and say, all right, out of these five, who who are we most interested in? And you're right, the, the brand name of a guy can go a long way uh, toward biasing a front office, and it, it it, it happens all the time where people bring in players that probably are and they overvalue them because of what they've done or who they've been. I forgot so, who uh, the player was, but I was I asked Shapiro, Mark Shapiro about him when he was running the tribe way back when. And he said, I'm not in the business of paying the guys for what they did. I want to pay them for what they could do for me. 
And he laid out something similar to this. It wasn't quite as far back, but like over the last three years, he missed X amount of games and that, and he said, if his name were Terry Pluto, you know, would you be interested? Well, I'm like, uh, I will take a one-year contract at six million, Terry. If you see that come with my name on it, be sure to send it my way. And yeah, I'll sign it quickly. So, well, so pro, yeah, according to Pro Football Talk, by the way, OBJ wants like fifteen to twenty million. He's out of yeah. his mind on that. Yeah, well, the market's going to be what it's going to be. So, all right, so there we go. There's OBJ. Um, all right, you ready for some? Uh, we got a good Hey Terry question that we've been yes. saying. You ready? All right, mm-hmm. here we go. This one is from longtime listener of the show, Paul Cosgrove. And Paul says, hey, Dave and Terry, I've read that Miami is thinking of not extending Tua Tagovailoa, his contract, because they're afraid of his recurring concussion problems. They fear that the next concussion will result in his loss to the team for a minimum of five weeks or permanently. Mm-hmm. The Browns have their own concussion concerns with their stars. And he puts Denzel Ward in parentheses. Guardian helmets, these padded helmet covers, are currently available and are being used in training camps. These helmets reduce the chance of concussions by 33%. Why doesn't the league mandate these helmets for any player with multiple concussions? What do you think? Thanks for that question, Ooh. Paul. I've not thought about this for one second. Um, and so you remember when we played, Terry, the helmets were basically a plastic yeah. bucket with these like uh, weird canvas kind of, yeah. s- straps inside. And now things have really evolved and the helmets are a lot better, but th- these guardian helmets, we've seen them, right? They wear them during training mm-hmm. camp. They were, I think they were mandatory at practice last season through the second game of the preseason. They're kind of white and they look like a waffle, right? And it just fits over the, the players not like them. Is that what the deal is? I guess, you know, these things always go to negotiations between the players and the, mm-hmm. Um, owners. But one thing I was thinking of, do you remember this, Terry? There was a guy named Mark Kelso, who was a safety for the Bills in the 90s. And he had a foam Bills helmet and it had the Bills logo on it and everything. And it sat on top of his regular helmet. Do you, I don't know if you remember Mark Kelso. No, he was a pretty good player for the Bills. But um, they used to call him uh, Gazoo or Kazoo. You remember from the Flintstones, there was that mm-hmm. old alien character because his helmet was so yeah. like, bulbous and large. But um, Did it work I don't know. For him? Do th- I, I don't know. There's never really been research done on what he wore. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. The whole inter- It's an interesting thing. Do you think that they should do something to kind of in- make these mandatory or have the players wear them in practice? Um, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? I would like to see them wear in some exhibition games to see how that goes. Kind of like cut... baseball does where they yeah. try the, a rule out in the minor leagues and then bring mm-hmm. it up. Yeah, yeah I like play that. Yeah, some preseason games. I mean, as long as you know that the one thing, it will not increase the number of, th- uh, of concussions. That's for sure. Yeah. So and they, you try them in preseason games and see. My guess is they're probably heavier or more awkward for players. That would be worth checking out in training camp. Why do you like it or not? Um, but they have to keep it, trying to do all the research. My goodness, it's a multi billion dollar business. Well, and the, we've seen so many of the rules for player safety in terms of changing the kickoffs and, mm-hmm. and all that. This seems like it could be a next logical step. But, uh, you know, that we've seen reporting that, 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 I guess the offensive linemen, defensive linemen, linebackers, and tight ends had to wear these guardian caps during practice, and they saw a 52% reduction in concussions uh, in 22 to 21. So I think your idea is a good one, Terry. Maybe you should yes, try well, this. I, and- I think a more valid thing would be um, a preseason games because practice, it all depends on how hard are they practicing. A 52% reduction compared to what? you know? So right. That, are they hitting? The, yeah, yeah, all right. that. But this right. way, you know, a preseason game is a preseason game. is sort of played the same way. And you would have the same data because you would have – you're still playing, you know, your uh, uh, 60 minutes and you're running a lot of players in and out. Uh, so that would be worth it to me. You have them play, the, you know, the four – it's now three preseason games with them and then do the data. I love that idea. Thanks for that question. Uh, if you would like to send in a comment or question for next week's podcast, you can hit us at sports at cleveland.com. And Terry, you said you ran into a couple listeners of the podcast when you were in Arizona and you told them to send in questions. So that's the way you can do it is sports at cleveland.com. Hopefully they'll do that. Okay. <laughs> All right, Terry, you gave us a great book recommendation last week. It was a March Madness related one about the uh, old UTEP basketball team from the 60s. You got anything you want to throw out this Plus, week? 
one of my favorite mystery writers is C.J. Box, B-O-X, and he writes the uh, about a game warden in Wyoming, Joe Pickett stories. And I just read his new one on the flight coming home. I think it's called Storm Warning. Just came out, and it's a classic C.J. Box. So the nice thing, too, see, I've been to Wyoming a fair amount. I know some of the places he writes about and that kind of stuff. I mean, this is a guy, he started writing for the Saratoga Wyoming paper as a weekly and then he worked wrote for the, like the chamber of commerce there and just all these other little things and got this idea to kind of he sort of what he took is like james lee burke who had the david robichaud stories in louisiana and he kind of put it in wyoming and you know you've got this and it, you find a lot about game wardens and people stealing all kinds of poaching and elk antlers and stuff like that and of course there's always some conspiracy going on um but i i love his books they're easy to read he writes like a newspaper man the stuff flows so cj box you can pick up any of them but uh the new one is good storm warnings i believe it is a lot of uh great newspaper writers over the years have become novelists and i, I think you're right it like the the skills translate the the flowing and 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 telling stories and things like that so i'll tell you one thing david uh, now we're really going over time but um I tried fiction a couple of times. I tried some novels. The hard part for me is when you're in newspapers or this reporting, you're given the plot. And then it's almost like you're given the coloring book and you color it in. Here you're handed the blank page. And moving the plot is really challenging, at least it was for me. So some of the characters, I have some people that know more than me kind of look at my stuff. The characters are good, but the plots are clunky. Mm. And so that's, uh, I admire whether it's him or like Michael Conley was a crime writer for the LA Times and the Fort, Water, uh, Fort Lauderdale paper before he began writing the Harry Bosch novels uh, out there. I like some of those too. Uh, so, And uh, uh, David Simon, who did The Wire, a new, longtime mm-hmm. newspaper reporter in Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore, a lot of Baltimore, the, Baltimore Sun, where I worked for a while. So They always say truth is stranger than fiction, don't they? Yeah, so. it, it <laughs> is. And it's kind of hard to, then it's like, also, too, when you're sort of designing a, the plot that's um, like true, you, you try to change it around. It, it, it's just a little fun. It's not easy. It's funky. I remember I've had people say, well, if I had as much time to write novels, I could do stuff like John Grisham, too. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> just like when you're watching golf on TV and you're like, I could do that if I played golf every day, too. You it's, uh, it's could a different level. hit the ball like half <laughs> as far as him. So just go away. You know, give me <laughs> Not what's what's what, yes, once in a while you could, but over 18 holes, no. <laughs> yep, it's the Grisham principle is yep. forever be known. So, all right, that's going to do it, Terry. You got anything else? That'll do it. Baseball's almost here. We'll be talking more baseball next week, and we thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking.